Happy Friday, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Today, we will be talking about Pope Benedict Emeritus and any kinds of unlikely theories that he's still Pope, which is to say we're talking about Pope Francis as well, and any coextensive unlikely theories that he is not Pope. Now, I have been very, very, very touchy, touch and go, careful, cautious with this topic because it is such a cautious topic, but I have not been on either side that he definitely is or definitely isn't. Any theory to the extent that B-16 is still Pope has to be called at this point unlikely. There's only one writer out there, writer, thinker, Catholic, who has shared my caution, A, but has also to be trouble to write about this to some extent, and he also has an interest in the Sankt Gallen Mafia, and his name is Stephen O'Reilly. He's written articles at LifeSite News and on his site, uh, Roma Lucuta Est. Stephen, thanks for coming with me today. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. Steve, yeah. Steve, uh, Steve Bannon, you sometimes double as in movies, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you guys, you guys, when, when we had the uh, honor to meet in Atlanta a few months back, I was giving a talk there. I just thought, wow, Steve Bannon came to my talk. I've really made it you know, when I looked out there and saw you. But uh, no, okay. So what's up, Steve? How are you doing? Thanks for joining me on. on doing great. Hope, hope, uh, doing great. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, I hope you did too. I you hope did, you did, did too. Um, I'm what, Look, here's the thing, man. I, I love how uh, a couple of your articles begin. We're going to be talking about three of your articles today. One is the most recent one is the Unsolved Mysteries article on LifeSite. I'll link all three of these in the show notes. There's also one called Benedict's Resignation on uh, Roma Lacuta, Locuta Est and Curiouser and Curiouser also on your site, which is a great title. I really like the way you begin the Benedict's Resignation article because it's duly careful with this topic. Now, not so careful that we can't talk about it. But I'd just like you to say, uh, Steve, a preliminary word, if you'd be willing, which um, recasts the caution, the caveat of Benedict's resignation, the way you open there. I think it's really, really appropriate. You know, this is not the most cautious thing we've ever spake, but it's, it's up there. There have been almost 40 antipopes in the history of the church, which means on average, we, you know, We've had 20, 20 Christian centuries. That's almost two per century. So it is a thing that happens ex post. After the fact, a pope can be declared an antipope, meaning he was never pope. It's a nullity. And so we have to be careful when we're looking, adducing, weighing evidence. Exactly. But, but anyway, you, you say your piece, because I like the way you, you tend to wrap this thing up. Sure, I don't recall offhand exactly what I said in that article to lead off, but my view is is that certainly uh, from all appearances, right? Francis is, I mean, he, he's gone through all the processes. We have, a, you know, at least a resignation that appears uh, on the face to be valid. Uh, so I think Catholics have to consider him at least the putative Pope, uh, that if you were going to suggest that he is not Pope, then you have to have some excellent uh, evidence to back that up. Uh, I've, you know, I, at the site, have kind of looked at some of the various theories that are out there, and some of them, you know, such as the, uh, what I, what, that the uh, Benedict is Pope, or the BIP theory, as I've 
nicknamed it, not as a pejorative. I mean, some have accused that of being a pejorative, but it's not. It's just simply Benedict is Pope or Benedict is still Pope. That's the theory. And right. that's that's based on the Declaratio. Uh, uh, basically, that theory is based on that, that somehow there was some sort of deficiency in his resignation itself. And therefore, he's still Pope. Therefore, Francis' election is not. Uh, but you know, for any other type of... Uh, 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 theory out there. You have to have some evidence. Does it back it up? I mean, I, I don't see, I, I reject the declaratio based theory. Uh, I have looked at some other theories, as you said, like the, uh, the, the, the Jesuit vow theory, which is the curiouser, curiouser article. Uh, but also, I was, uh, since the St. Gallen Mafia stuff came up, that was very interesting because yep. there you had clearly the case of some campaigning going on and whether or not that was in violation of some of the canons or the uh, uh, papal legislation on conclaves, whether or not it, there's some violations there. So I, I have looked closely at that and the McCarrick and the influential Italian gentleman and some of the kind of the bizarre things that did go on around the conclave that raised questions in, in my mind, that at least I think should be explored more. Uh, but ultimately uh, my position is, is that, uh, just to kind of sum up here is that Francis, most likely a Pope, uh, and you need a very good set of evidence to kind of over, overcome uh, that obstacle. Uh, but I, I certainly understand folks looking around for theories because we've had because it is a very uh, you know troubling papacy, as uh, as as your uh, your viewers uh, well know. Yeah, that's a great preliminary word, and we're going to get to that in a second. It would be a splendor if. Francis turned out to be the what 38th anti-pope yeah. because if he stands as pope he's the worst he's superlatively bad he's unprecedentedly bad etc cetera, etc cetera. so it would just be if we give in to wishful thinking and maybe we'll be indulged sometimes wishful thinking is uh it would be a, a delightful thing so we're going to get to what is a a less unlikely iteration of the theory that uh, Francis is not Pope right after this word. First off, I would like to hail this channel's patrons, loyal, faithful patrons. Uh, benefits will be enhanced in 2022. And I would also like to point out that a week from yesterday, next Thursday, we have our next St. Luke Single Society meeting uh, led by myself. That is the $20 patron tier. It's where young retrogrades can meet each other uh young women and young men thank you guys very much the benefits will be enhanced and we look forward to 2022 on patreon timothy j gordon also get from your blue state to a red state do so by going to realestateforlife.org people know how personal this is for me and how much i believe it if the republic is to survive it's going to be by a super coagulated blood red swath of red states Get to one today. Go to realestateforlife.org. And last but not least, those who have enrolled in classes this fall, which are coming to a close next week on Retrograde Classical Academy, know that uh, there is a second semester of Latin One, which has opened up. If you go to timothyjgordon.com, you can enroll in that. If you were in it this semester, it is for a heavily discounted price, the second semester of Latin One. Also, I have opened a constitutional intro course, an intro to the Constitution, as this spring, 2022, which is the semester under question, 
will be the run-up period to us hearing in June the decision to Dobbs versus Jackson, the most important constitutional case ever, right? Where we actually can end Roe versus Wade. And so people can get in the run-up to that time a better grasp on the Constitution. Do so by going to timothyjgordon.com. Okay, Steve. So first, would you give a quick, quick synopsis of why the standard uh, declaratio benedictus pope theory is not compelling because i I'm, i think i'm fully with you here and you're going to get some hate for saying this stuff but hey it has to be said we are searching the truth if benedict really is still pope it will be on some other theory besides this one i think the declaratio theory you and i agree is very weak I, I do get some i do get some hate mail on that in terms of the uh, the benedict uh, there's really i think two uh kind of main bit theories, I guess I call them. One is based on the Declaratio, and that's some sort of deficiency in his intent, in, in Benedict's intent, in terms of his, what he wrote, you know, whether or not he resigned the ministry, did he resign the munis, uh, which is all that's kind of a Latin-based argument. But then there's also uh, a theory that would be that he did not resign freely. Uh, and that's really irrespective of what he said in the Declaratio. And that's, that's really one thing that I would, I think, is open to more investigation. Uh, it would be, a, but it would take a lot of I mean, excellent information or a, uh, some great evidence to come forward. I don't think that there's no evidence to suggest that now. I mean, there's, there's certainly a, a lot of odd things uh, just to, to explore. And that's my the part one of the, one of the articles you mentioned, the Benedict resignation, part one of that in part two, kind of look into that. Uh, but then I also uh, think back to, I think it was like last year that uh, Cardinal Burke appeared on, I think it was Patrick Coffin's show. And he was asked, uh, uh, Mr. Coffin asked a lot of questions about like the uh, St. Gallen Mafia, that sort of thing. And what, could this be invalidate the conclave? And uh, Cardinal Burke gave an interesting question, interesting answer. Uh, I don't want to put too many words into his mouth, but as I understood him, uh, that you need really two conditions for it to be an invalid conclave. One is that uh, there would have to be evidence that there was a plot basically to undermine the papacy of, of, of Benedict. And then on the other part, you would need evidence that there was actual, uh, you know, plotting to get, so, you know, uh, Bergoglio in this case elected as Pope. I think there's a lot of, a lot of evidence or suggestions out there that, uh, that there was some of that going on on the conclave part. I uh, think there's a lot of interesting things going on there. Whether or not there's enough evidence on the uh, that they undermined the papacy to the extent to say that his his resignation was not free, uh, that, that's a, a, a large question right there. It's a high burden of persuasion to to show that he actually he was actually compelled, such that it would be like a nullity or what we'd call an affirmative defense. So like, yes, I resigned, but they had a gun to my head or, or some such. That, that, that's right. I mean, that, that's yeah. clearly not the case. I mean, people have been visiting uh, Benedict for the last, whatever, eight years here. He's given no indication, like, you know, help me or blinking his eyes, SOS or anything right. like that. He's actually traveled out of the Vatican, I think, uh, to, his, uh, to see his brother when he was sick. So people have written, written books with him and all that, had tons of interviews, no suggestion that that. You know, the only kind of, uh, I think uh, some problem with the freedom would be only if they kind of uh, enticed him to resign 
uh, by some deception. And then whether or not the canonists would say that itself is free or not, I, I'm not a canonist, so I couldn't say if that kind of deceit would would qualify as to nullify his resignation. Okay, so people, for the sake of clarity, for parish orphans and retrogrades out there, the two-part theory, which with two prongs, that uh, you know, Steve here has written about giving up a, a, a synopsis of the two prongs he's interpreting from Cardinal Burke is a that there would have to have been some sort of conspiracy against the Benedict Pontificate during the Benedict Pontificate. St. Gallen Mafia, I think, forms at least the strong part of a beginning argument, an inchoate argument there. I want to make one remark after this. Part B is there has to be some sort of uh, canvassing or conspiracy or campaigning, uh, illicit campaigning, uh, before, during the conclave, uh, which followed upon Benedict. Now, Steve, you said just now that you think B is a strong showing. I think A is a pretty strong showing just by virtue of the fact that, you know, I have Julia Maloney's book right here, which I wrote the forward for. There is such a thing as the St. Gallen Mafia, which we know about, that traces back to the mid-90s. And it is a, a, an admitted, an admission by a party opponent, Cardinal Daniels, one of the members of the St. Gallen Mafia. It was a mid-90s through mid-2000s conspiracy to avoid a Benedict XVI pontificate. And of course, when I first learned of this four or five years ago, I th said, well, what were they doing during the entire Benedict pontificate once they lost they, the St. Gallen Mafia, and he did become Pope. Well, Julian Maloney's new book and some other articles, I think, Steve, you've written some on this. They were doing some stuff, some skullduggery during the Benedict oh. Pontificate. So the question is, does that stuff they were doing amount to that high material showing requisite to actually call it a forced resignation or, you know, a, a fraud in the inducement or any of the, the right. affirmative defenses? Right, in my in the in a recent like two part uh, article I have wrote uh, a couple a lot of strange things uh, that are suggestive that maybe something's going on. I think there was. I think uh, Julia wrote about or talked about a recent article that there was even a, a uh, Saint Gallen meeting in I think Aprilish of two thousand twelve. Uh, we do know going back to the the conclave of what two thousand five two thousand six, Martini had approached. Uh, uh, Ratzinger at that time and kind of said, hey, you know, there's this other guy out here we don't like. You know, you're, you're, you're a trustworthy guy. You're an honest man. I'll throw my support behind you. you know, we, let's reform the Curia. But if, if you can't do that, you know, you have to resign. So that's kind of like the, uh, the proposition, the, the predicate that uh, Martini laid back in 2005, 2006. And then oddly enough, uh, after the outbreak of the, or maybe not so oddly enough, after the outbreak of the what the wicked what the uh, the, the Vatican the Vatican leaks uh, scandal, yeah. which uh, which embarrassed Benedict quite a bit, you have Martini approaching uh, Ratzinger now or Pope Benedict the Sixteenth in uh, June, saying you failed, you did not reform, and now it's time to step aside. So it's almost like the question is, was Vatican leaks? The question in my mind is, and, and I'm not saying it is. But if you were to write, say, a, a, you know, a great fiction novel or something like that, that it would seem, I, I would wonder in my mind, did the St. Gallen Mafia have something to do with the Battle League scandal you know, behind 
behind the scenes as a way of embarrassing uh, Benedict and kind of leading him to the conclusion that I can't govern, which is kind of what Martini followed up and basically said in, in June, and that that kind of induced uh, Benedict to resign. So that's that's what I would that would kind of think is what happened if if we operate under that hypothesis. It's uh, Father Silvano Fausti that's reporting exactly. on this, that's, that's right? It. Yes. Isn't yep. it? Yep. A yep. close he, personal he, friend of Martini. Friend of Martini. Martini. Yep. Yeah. For people who don't know, Cardinal Martini is the Don, the leader of the Sankt Gallen Mafia that uh, started it all and was like Pope John Paul II, whom he had very little love for. He was yielding over a decade, a decade plus to Parkinson's disease, right? But it's his friend and well-wisher and fanboy, Father Silvano Fausti, who says this, according to your um, Roma Locuta Est article, Steve, yeah. Quote, Martini apparently handed his votes over to Ratzinger in order to avoid foul play. This is in back in 2005 at the conclave, which elected uh, Benedict, which attempted to eliminate both in order to elect a thoroughly obsequious member of the Curia who didn't make it. According to Fausti, Ratzinger and Martini had more votes, Martini a few more than Ratzinger. There had apparently been a scheme to elect a Curia cardinal. Once the ploy had been unveiled, Martini went to Ratzinger in the evening and said to him, I, I always heard this was at, at the, a lunchtime meeting between the third and the fourth scrutinies that of the right. 2005 yeah. conclave. He says to him, they, they were walking arm in arm, and he says to him, tomorrow you agree to become Pope with my votes. He said to him, you accept. You have been in the Curia for 30 years. You are intelligent and honest. Bear in mind, this is Martini who formed a club, St. Gallen Mafia Club, in order to keep Ratzinger yeah. out of the pontificate. Now he's disingenuously saying, hey, you take it at this uh, 2005 conclave. Uh, you've, you've been in the Curia for 30 years. You're intelligent and honest. If you manage to reform the Curia, great. Doesn't sound like words that, that this former of the, uh, the, the one who formed the Gallen Club would say. But if not, you step down. This is uh, uh, Martini Benedict's 16th uh, resignation in the 2005 conclave. Are you speculating that essentially, perhaps, it was some sort of uh, collusion between the butler and, and the Gallen Mafia that produced the, uh, the Vati Leaks scandal, which would be the actuator of this if-then condition? Well, okay. I'm... Speaking purely hypothetical, I'm not alleging that, but I'm saying that if if one were to go down the road of thinking, what are the possible theories that you could really invalidate a conclave based on if if if, if my understanding of what Cardinal Burke had mentioned or my, my reading of Cardinal Burke's statement to Patrick Coffin is that, that yes is that, uh, that hypothetically where would be the places to to look to look for evidence. And that would seem very, it's very odd that you have Martini kind of laying the predicate and then coming right. back right after the uh, Vata leaks erupts and really embarrasses the heck out of uh, Benedict, kind of showed him that he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't rule past his door. You know, I think he, he, he had made a comment like that to somebody. So that's, that's curious. And then uh, in my article, I kind of explore some other things, which I found were pretty interesting, is that... Uh, if you look at Nuzzi's, Nuzzi's the uh, Italian journalist who kind of interviewed Paolo Gabriele and got the documents from him, it's a pretty wide conspiracy. There are a lot of folks within uh, the Vatican who are helping 
Gabriele, you kind of doing like counter surveillance of meetings and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so it was kind of why. So I started thinking, well, well, you know, you know, could this be like a false flag? Maybe they thought they all thought, or some of them thought, or Gabriele certainly did thought he was helping Benedict. That's kind of uh, kind of naive for him to have thought that. So did someone take advantage of that kind of guy? But it'd be nice to interview him, but he's he's dead. He he died. I think it was last year. Right. Uh, dead men tell no tales. So that's, <laughs> uh, and I'm not suggesting he was murdered, but it would have been nice to have interviewed someone like that. Yes. Um, You're talking about the butler, right? The, but, the butler. Yeah. The butler, yeah. Whether the butler or not, who, who has this oddly, very conspicuous role in the Vatty Leak scandal. If you look, look, look into that, uh, parish very, very, retrogrades, take very, a look. very strange. He thought he was helping Benedict and these people that were helping him get these documents to Nutsi apparently allegedly kind of thought the same way that they were like the, the white hats within the Vatican, but, you know, certainly one can conjecture whether or not that kind of naivete, you know, uh, was taken advantage of or kind of, you know, fed by, you know, more darker forces. Um, yeah, but then, then looking around, so you have a lot of people though, you know, if, but if you yeah. did, if it was, if it was a uh, conspiracy, you know, that takes money. Uh, so I looked around, I, I noticed in uh, Henry Sierra's uh, book, uh, The Dictator Pope, that uh, when uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, in, 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 he was the chancellor of uh, what, the, the Catholic University of, of Buenos Aires, and uh, during his time, over like a you know, five, 10 year period, had transferred money to the Vatican Bank, like 30, 40 million dollars, and that was eventually turned into a, uh, a gift. And I don't know if the money knows where, where, where it went to, uh, but Henry Sira in his book suggests that it was used for influence. Now, he wasn't linking these two theories. And I'm not saying the money went to that, but that's certainly something uh, that you know, raises an eyebrow. You know, uh, and that those, those transfers ended around 2012, according to Sira's uh, book. That's conspicuous also. There, there's a lot. There are many threads to pull from here. I want to remind people a couple things. Normies on this issue will say, hey, it doesn't matter how many of these conditions for anti-pope are met. They're essentially setting a standard so high that there can have been zero anti-popes in the history of uh, our bimillennial uh, papacy, right? Which is ridiculous because we've had like 37. But um, they'll say if, if a pope is peacefully accepted, then it doesn't really matter what happens. Uh, peacefully accepted means all the bishops of the world accept the Pope. Now, is that a hard 100%? Is it a quorum? Is it, you know, I mean, that that's, and I'm not asking you, Steve, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling people to keep that fact at the back of their mind that there is this perhaps intentionally ambiguous description of what the requirement of peaceful acceptance by the bishops, and I guess the census fidelium of a pope amounts to, is it 100.0%? I mean, there's Bishop Gracida, right, of, of Corpus Christi, who has never accepted uh, uh, Francis as pope. So does that mean that there is not peaceful acceptance? On the other hand, Francis has been accepted by almost all the other bishops of the world, maybe all of them. And, uh, and that does stand as unique to the 37 instances of anti-pope where it was like a third of the church thought it was this guy, uh, two thirds thought it was this guy in some cases, 
you know, like Avignon coming out of Avignon, there are like three candidates for Pope. So it, it's more like a third, a third, a third or half, half. Uh, that's one difficulty to the one one difficulty that must be negotiated, that must be overcome, superseded Absolutely. for the, the Benny Plenis types that want to say, well, look, the St. Gallen Mafia. I've always thought the St. Gallen Mafia, this countervails the other way, is the best justification for a Benny Plenist. Look into that. I don't, I don't know it. I, I think Francis is the Pope, but I'm definitely open to hearing more about St. Gallen Mafia, which is what I tell Julia Maloney. Everyone should read her book. Um, but at the same time, what of this issue of peaceful acceptance of the Pope? It does seem like all of Christendom has accepted Francis as a Pope, albeit a horrible one, the worst one. So that needs to be negotiated at some point. I, I do you agree with that, Steve? I do. No, it's a, you, you can't ignore it. It's something out there. Um, but I mean, I think, but if facts come forward, that would all have to be adjudicated anyway. If there if there was some level of evidence that was reached, then we're talking about it's not for you or I or uh, some of the other voices out there on social media to say that uh, Benedict still is or Francis is not. That would take. We'd probably be looking at the next pontificate or two, some pope having commissioned to look at this evidence to say whatever that evidence evidence might be and say, yeah, this this guy was an anti-pope. You know, but I'm not going to, you know, that, you know, this year's salary on that. So, yeah, what I don't on that note, here's something I don't get. I don't get either side of this issue claiming a dignified irritated certitude certainty as against the other side i i mean i I, as a faithful son of the church you have to say look until it's been declared i i believe francis is pope but i don't get the side like uh, i was talking to mark brumley at ignatius press on twitter about this he was mocking patrick coffin who's who's you know seems a good bit more certain not altogether certain than i am that francis isn't pope and, and Brumley was just, he seemed so irritated. I'm like, look, we've had 37 anti-popes. And if ever there was a case when we should be hoping, which is not to say necessarily being certain, but hoping that a pope is an anti-pope, it would be Francis. It would be very convenient for all the goodly sons and daughters of Holy Mother Church, right? But I don't get why some of the Benedict is Pope crowd get so mad at you because you've done good work, Steve. I don't get why someone like Mark Brumley is so mad at Patrick Coffin, who's a good deal more certain, so he says, than you or I, that uh, Benedict is Pope, but he still doesn't claim 100% certitude. I I don't get why this can't be one of those issues where people can't just be like, let's look at it. It would be a hell of a good thing if Francis was not Pope. He probably is, but let's hope he's not. There are some, some facts to sniff out and dig out here. Yeah, well, I think yeah. There's 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 a there certainly are those who think or do not think that Francis is Pope. I mean, I think we've talked about that. There's a lot of reasons out there to think or to to wonder why or wonder if he still is. I mean, a lot of strange things have happened. Amorous Letizia, you know, the, the death penalty thing and Pacamama and all that. But I, I do think that a lot of the the, the bippers out there who, who who look at the resignation letter. Are, are too, uh, they're going beyond, I think, what the evidence suggests to, to be as firm in their belief. I mean, I was just looking online, there's apparently some sort of petition out there, just looking at uh, the from, from Rome site, which is referencing another 
website, which actually doesn't open when I when I link on it, but they talk about any future election uh, that they declare their faithfulness to Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and they're declaring that any future papal election made under any of the following circumstances will lack cano- canonical validity. And they they go through and list that. You know, some of it is you, you can't have uh, Francis's cardinals in there now. You know, if you go down that route, you're just setting up to become a, a, a schism, you know, once uh, or when Francis and or Benedict dies, you know, that this thing will be hard to heal. So I think people, I mean, I think, I think right. it's fair to, to, to wonder. And right. to, I, mean, I think, I think, I think one thing reasonably should say, putatively, it looks like Francis is, I would not exclude the possibility that he's not, but I mean, to act as if he's not with complete metaphysical certitude, I think is uh, the wrong way to go. Well, it's insane. It's also the, the only reason, uh, the primary reason that you're the only person I've spoken to about this is because you hedge like an intelligent person with a forebrain, you hedge. You're like, look, putatively, we have to say that for now, we think Francis is Pope. I'm not going to go, um, you err on the side of caution for heaven's sakes. These people, some of these uh, religious people, they're like atheists iteration of religious people, dumb religious people that dive in head first to everything. They're just setting up a schism. I don't understand you. Can I say this people? I don't understand you. If you're, you're leaving yourself no out there as, as a philosopher, as a, a lawyer, I just say, unless you're certain, certain of a mother's love, certain of, uh, you know, the moral rectitude of the natural law. Okay, go to bat for those things. But if there are a whole plethora of facts that by your own conspiracy theory, which might be true, but pro- but might not be, you say these facts are being hidden from you, so you can't access them because they're being hidden by some powerful contingent of the curia. Well, then you have to admit epistemic humility. You have to say, hey, look, I don't have the uh, knowledge to make the call here. I'm not the line judge. I wasn't close enough to see if the player's foot was out of bounds. But there's definitely enough evidence to say, hey, can we zero in on this corner of the the screen and look at the player's foot as it was near the line? It's close to the line. That's fine. What's not fine is betting your house, betting your life, betting your wife and kids' salvation on something that you admit you don't have the evidence. By definition, the evidence has been hidden from you in order to make a proper call. I just don't get people that commit themselves to these things that are ultra viras to them. Exactly. You know, and and, and uh, I think the, going back to the example of the, the Declarati, as an example, is that uh, one of the, one of the uh, pieces of evidence they'll use uh, that, Fran- that Benedict only intended to resign the ministry and not the munis and kind of split this thing is to look at his last general audience and where he talks about how uh, uh, always and forever, you know, that uh, uh, they seem to uh, interpret that as meaning or his uh, audience as suggesting that uh, he is only resigning, you know, the active ministry of the church uh, of the papacy, but you could also look at that declar- uh, at that last audience. You can certainly interpret it in the same as the sense that he was just resigning, had some very fatherly uh, thoughts and uh, about right. about about resigning and about he, that, that he still has children. That, that once I became once when I became pope, I gathered, I became father of the church, and I, I, I got true sons and daughters. And now that I'm resigning, it doesn't mean I'm going to leave you. I still right. love you, and I'm going to you know I'm still going to pray as father. 
it can be also interpreted in a perfectly natural sense that, you know, he's, he's truly resigning. But uh, what one site basically said, anyone who says that is a liar, you know, right. and, and they would been open up to the possibility that, yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe it can be looked at both ways. Let's wait and see if a future pope <laughs> agrees with uh, Steve or agrees with, with me or whoever. And, and that's that, that kind of metaphysical certainty, I think, is not there or any kind of certainty should not be attached to the uh, Benedict still pope theory. Also, if if I'll be your father for always means that he's still pope, it would require that he's immortal, right? <laughs> Unless he meant it in the the construction you gave it. Hey, I just always will feel fatherly affection for. Well, it's more. Uh, yeah, I don't have the wording of that, that section in front of me, but that, 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 that's kind of the sentiment I think that to me comes through when you, when you read his audience. I think in context is his yeah, word. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. Could we talk? Uh, he's kind of by by way of a. A slow closing here. Can we talk about your more recent LifeSite article, which came up just before Halloween of this sure. year? It's entitled, There are still many unsolved mysteries surrounding the 2013 election of Cardinal Bergoglio to the papacy. Again, I just like, I like the title. I like your approach to this whole thing. There are unsolved mysteries. An unsolved mystery, uh, that verbiage is very honest. It exercises the intellectual humility the epistemic humility I'm looking for here. It's an unsolved mysteries. Remember that old eighties and early nineties TV show, unsolved mysteries. It has the mysterious music it has the mysterious uh, narration. It has the mysterious plot line. The reason people look into Steve unsolved mysteries is because by virtue of their uh, obscurity, they're interesting because yeah. by virtue of the fact that we don't know the outcome, they're interesting. So this this furthers what we're saying here, that it's like we're not saying we know the answer to the mystery. We're saying it warrants another look. OK, and this is what you open up the article saying. Um, and I, I just think I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about it uh, if, if you would be willing to. A, a synopsis of the article goes like this. The narrative that Cardinal Bergoglio was a passive or even an unwitting beneficiary of the Gallen Mafia's initiatives on his behalf is impossible to accept um and that that doesn't mean that he's not pope but it, it could mean that right that's that's what i like about would, would you explain what that little titular head means to the article yeah sure i mean i think a lot of the uh, Bergoglian acolytes out there like the Ivarays and the where peter is or where pakama where pakamaka is where pakamama is website yeah. Uh, who, you know, you have this humble guy and just, oh, who me? I'm Pope. You know, that type of image, I think, was certainly blown up in Henry Sierra's book, The Dictator Pope, where you find out that he was like plotting, like, with, you know, there are quotes from some of his sources that he was, you know, plotting like mad all the while, you know, pretending that he was indifferent about, you know, what, you know, the resignation of uh, Benedict might mean to him. Uh, but some of the interesting things, uh, some of the unsolved mysteries uh, include, for example, that you know, he, when he arrived in Rome, Benedict's uh, resignation went to effect on the 28th of February, 2013. Uh, Benedict uh, Fra Bergoglio arrived on the 27th. Now, one might think that, oh, you're going to arrive in Rome, you're a cardinal, you might meet other cardinal friends and things like that. But no, he dined with four journalists, four Italian journalists. Uh, two of them were Vaticanisti, you know, Andrea Tornielli and, uh, and Johnny Valente, who was the founder of uh, Trenta Journey or 30 Days, which was a, you know, prominent, I don't think it's around anymore, but it was a prominent uh, Vatican uh, inside type uh, journal. And 
he met with them. We don't know what happened in that meeting. That'd be interesting to hear what, what happened there. What we do know, though, is about two days later, March 2nd, Tornielli uh, published this article in Vatican Insider about uh, uh, his opening line to his article was the famous line, four years of Bergoglio would be enough to, to change the church. Yeah. And he doesn't mention in that article that he had dinner with Bergoglio a couple of nights before. Uh, and that same phrase, four years of Bergoglio, popped up a lot of different places. I mean, it popped up with, you know, uh, the famed influential Italian, uh, influential Italian gentleman that appeared with McCarrick, but it also was a line attributed to Cardinal, McCur uh, Cardinal Murphy O'Connor. And there was also another uh, uh, South American Cardinal, Aero Suiz, I, could, I probably can't pronounce his name right. He was also quoted by yet a separate journalist. So you have like three or four different uh, people using that line. And I, my theory is, is that, uh, that Bergoglio is the ultimate source of that. And he's used lines like that, like in that Mexican uh, uh, video uh, interview we did, I think in 2014 or 15 with a Mexican journalist, where we talk about, I think I'm only going to have four or five years to be Pope. And that was one of the concerns with his age at the time. He's 76 years old. He's too old to be elected. So you can see how the four or five year thing came out as almost like a talking point, you know, like, hey, I can do this in four or five years. Right. And that's kind of like my uh, hypothesis that actually he said it and then everyone else kind of took it and ran with it, you know, and kind of filtered that through, uh, you know, their various conversations at the conclave. That's really very interesting. That, that's extremely, extremely interesting. Now, I, I don't want to force you into something that you're not committing. You're taking a guess. You have a, an interesting theory about the identity of that certain Italian gentleman, right? And just a guess that uh, it was mentioned by McCarrick, don't you? You want to? Say yeah, I do. I, yeah, and I do. And I, and I don't. I don't take credit for his name popping up. I mean, when I, when I was you know, researching, I had when I when I was trying to profile who I thought the, the guy could be, this influential Italian gentleman. I was thinking probably a journalist or maybe some prominent layman who's involved with a charity in Rome or something, because that's the way that the, uh, the character described the guy, prominent, influential guy in Rome. Uh, but then I saw in some an Italian blog that through, someone threw out the suggestion it was Andrea Riccardi, who is the founder of this, the community of Sant'Egidio, which is, you know, very well known, very prominent, very influential uh uh, institution within lay institution within the church that is very well connected with, with cardinals. It's in like in 70 countries. Zuppi, who is talked about as a, as a possible uh, Papa Bile, is uh, closely tied to it. So uh, Andrea Riccardi, as it turns out, uh, has, a, has a history, according to Sandro Magister, of, of, of politicking or lobbying. He wrote an article on this guy many years ago that he was trying to influence, he was lobbying like crazy for Ted Amanzi in the 2005-2006 conclave. So he's done this kind of thing before. Uh, he's close, he's, he's the self-described convinced Bergoglian, uh, Riccardi is, he's, he wrote these, he's, he's written that. And then also it turns out he's close to uh, uh, McCarrick. He wrote the forward, uh, McCarrick wrote a forward for a prayer book. You can find this on Amazon. I forget, I, it's in, the title of it's in one of my articles. But uh, McCarrick wrote the forward to one of his prayer books that Riccardi wrote. So uh, it seems to me that there's a strong case to be made that Riccardi's it. I would like to see maybe some uh, enterprising Catholic journalist in Rome might, you know, stick him in the elevator and <laughs> ask him that question. Were you, did you ever meet 
McCarrick at the North American College on March 2nd or 3rd, 2013. It'd be interesting to see. But uh, the question is then if that is him or whoever it is, what did, did, Begol- did, did they go at the behest of Begolio? And the suggestion from uh, Vigano, certainly in his testimony, is that is the case. Yeah. It, can you refresh our recollection? Sure. Why, uh, Vigano attests that that is the case. Oh, Vigano in his uh, testimony was at the Summer of Shame, was that 2018? 18, yeah. 18. He talks about how McCarrick um, had worked for his election, for, for this election, for the election of Francis. And he, he references this Villanova talk that uh, McCarrick gave in 2000, October of 2013, where he mentions this meeting on videotape with this influential, influential Italian guy who came to visit him. Uh, and, but then afterwards, because of his assistance that, that Francis, according to Vigano, uh, Francis had rewarded uh, McCarrick by kind of taking off the uh, kind of, uh, you know, the chains kind of that uh, Benedict had put on him because of his, you know, indiscretions. And, uh, and he, he was rewarded and he went to China actually to, uh, you know, engage in some diplomatic activity on behalf of Francis. So, yeah, it's very, very, very interesting. Let, let you know, when we're, we're about out of time, oh, dear Steve, sorry. but let me, you give the parting shot on what the relevance of what I'm about to read. It's again from your article. It's a quote. Everyone will recognize it has a lot to do with me beginning to make videos on YouTube with Taylor Marshall there. But what is the relevance of this to the, the relevance of the question? Is Francis actually Pope at all? You write this in the middle of this LifeSite news article uh, from October the 26th of this year. Speaking to reporters in an airplane press conference, Pope Francis refused to comment on Vigano's accusations. You just named the accusations uh, in so many words. Choosing instead to respond quite obscurely. This has to be the centerpiece, I think, of all of these theories and conjectures about Francis. Here's what he said. And no one even talks about this. Trad's right-wing Nova Zorda Catholics, people have forgotten about this. He says, I will not say a single word about this. I believe the statement speaks for itself, and you have the journalistic capacity to draw your own conclusions. That doesn't make any sense. Journalists drawing their own conclusions? It is an act of faith for journalists. When some time passes, and you have drawn your own conclusions, meaning yay or nay, I may speak but I would like your professional maturity to do the work for you. It will be good for you. That's good. This is the oddest thing ever said to a room of journalists whom, who abided that strange uh, paternalistic admonition. You say Pope Francis bizarrely insisted that it should be journalists who do the work of assessing the accusations against him rather than he who should respond to their questions. Can you just, as a parting shot, Steve, because we got to get out of here, Yep. Say what this has to do uh, with everything we're talking about, Francis or Benedict as Pope. Well, uh, well, well, links back. I brought that up in the, in the context of whether or not Tornelli, like my hypothesis is Tornelli wrote that article where he said the four years of Bergoglio back in 2013, he wrote that on behalf with, with Bergoglio's knowledge, which would be interesting because uh, he, that plot would have happened on the 27th of February, which would, would have been when, Benedict was still Pope. So that might have some significance canonically. 
But uh, so just to show that as evidence, I think that they were uh, working in uh, collusion is that you fast forward to this, 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 the, the quote that you read from Francis, that was when he was coming back from Ireland after the Vigano testimony first came out. Now everyone's asking Francis, what about this and all that? And he had no answer other than what you just read. And what's curious is, is that two months after he said that, Tornielli and Valente jointly published a book, which kind of basically threw McCarrick, the fault for McCarrick onto Benedict and John Paul II. And I think they threw Vigano under the bus to boot. Now, right. two months is a pretty quick time to write a book, you know, do research and stuff. I mean, you, you all know that I mean, and get it out. I wonder, uh, what, given what Francis said, it seems to me that he had foreknowledge that Tornelli and uh, Valenti were writing this book. In fact, I also wonder, I didn't put it into the article. I actually wonder if uh, uh, Francis commissioned it right after the McCarrick thing became public about a few months earlier because he foresaw that there would be questions about his linkages to McCarrick. So I think that this book was actually already in, in the works. And that's why he, he knew this and, and could say, because the journalists who he was referring to and had faith in were his own journalists, Tony right. Elliott Valenti, that this book was going to come out. Right. These are hagiographies that he's anticipating. Exactly. They're very interesting. The, the point is this. Okay. Th- th- thanks for coming on today, Steve. It's, it's been amazing. I, I'd probably like to have you back on because we only skimmed the surface of this. And I think a, a follow-up show, maybe just called part two of this, would would be good. There is a wealth of mystery still yet unexplored about Francis. One little instance. He was a bouncer in his earlier life. I heard one or two stories allege that it, he was a, a bouncer at a not-so-savory type nightclub earlier in his life. You can't find that. I was researching that a week ago. I couldn't find that before Thanksgiving. That's just one little instance. And everything you've talked about here today, Steve, there is so much fascinating, interesting, piquant uh, conversation starting mystery wrapped in an enigma shrouding shrouding the Francis pontificate that it could take us the rest of our lives to talk about and to research. And yet trads online will bark, you know, up these wrong trees all the time. And it's like, look, the most interesting, the most intellectually compelling tree is that other one there. No dogs are barking up that tree. And they're, they're pretty obvious trees to bark up. So that, that's what I want to do is maybe help to recalibrate people. Look, if you're really, really big on Francis is not Pope, well, look at this tree. I, I, I think putatively he's definitely Pope and we're going to have to wait and see go to this tree. Other people that have the time and the energy to do this nonstop, other podcasters, content makers, go to this tree. And that's that's why I thought it was valuable to have you on, Steve. We'll link all three of your articles. I'll link uh, one of your books as well in the show notes. Steve is a, a great researcher and a great writer, and I will have you back on, uh, Mr. Steve, uh, next time. Stephen O'Reilly. Thanks for being on the show. Pair Shorfords and Retrogrades, God bless you and have a heck of a weekend. Thanks, Steve. Jordan, you too. Thanks a lot.